I want to pray right now, and then we're just going to jump right into the teaching. So, Jesus, uh, we thank you uh, for what you're doing in this church. We look forward to how you will uh, take these needs and requests and desires and longings and use them in a way that will bring blessing to your church here, but then also be a means to equip people to live faithfully for you in this world uh, as followers of Jesus. So uh, we pray, God, for just continued faithfulness to all that you call us to. Thank you, Lord, for just an incredible financial stewardship team that's filled with people that have just devoted so many, many hours to just faithfully, carefully, uh, uh, transparently um, advocating for the importance of just how do we do this in a way that's that's faithful to you and to your call. So, God, thank you for that. And as we and thank you for this church community that just exemplifies radical generosity. We just truly believe that this is what the New Testament church has always looked like. And thank you, God, for the work that you're doing in this community right now. So open our hearts to your word as we jump into it right now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Why don't you guys open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. John chapter 6. Oh, lastly, before we even jump into that, so go ahead and open up there. Um, how many of you guys are graduating, either from high school or from college? Any any graduates in here today? Raise your hands really, really high. Oh, nice. Awesome. <laughs> Wonderful. I want to I wanna pray for you. I'm not going to have you guys stand up or do anything embarrassing, but I'm going to pray for you guys real quick. Is that cool? Raise your hand again really high so everyone around you can see you. Because, look, not only did that cost you a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of energy, but you did it. Good job. I'm proud of you all. Good job. Awesome. Let me pray for you all. God, thank you for each of these that have gone this long path of endurance and have come out the other end and are able to look at this uh, diploma and realize that they, they did it. God, thank you for the endurance, the confidence, the strength, uh, the provision, Lord, that you've uh, given for them. I pray as they step into this world and they use the gifts and the giftings that you've given to them to make much of your name. Uh, God, I pray that you not only provide for them job-wise, you provide for them places to live. You just give them everything that they need in order that they would be set up to live as faithful disciples for you in this world. Uh, using the gifts that you've given them. So uh, bring blessing upon them, and just thank you, God, for the work that you have been able to bring through their lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You guys all, John chapter 6, if you still need a Bible, raise your hand. We have some ushers. I would love to get your Bible. If not, we're going to just uh, throw it up on the screen. You can follow along, and we will get to that in a second. So real quick, fast context. Um, I jumped into this passage last week, and what we said is that we're going to be looking at this for at least the next two weeks. It's actually officially going to be three weeks. So you're welcome. Um, you get, we're going to get three weeks out of this little passage that starts in John chapter 6, verse 60, all the way down to John chapter 71. So, 671. I think this is probably one of the most important passages on discipleship in the entire Gospel of John, if not maybe in the entire New Testament. Um, why do I say that? We'll read the passage in just a second here, and hopefully it will be pretty self-explanatory. But it's one of those passages that what we wanted to do is not only look at this in kind of sequence, but try to make sense of three different things. So 
Uh, next slide, I got this kind of written down, um, this kind of little bit of a statement that I just said last week, so hopefully you'll be able to remember it. Following Jesus is rewarding, but not easy. I want you to think about that. Following Jesus is a reward in and of itself, but it's very hard. It's very difficult. Anybody that told you following Jesus is going to be easy, your life's going to get better, everything's going to be amazing, lie to you. Sorry, but they lie to you because it doesn't get better. It doesn't get easier. Yes, you have a companion who is God, who's with you, and he does help you. Yes, he does provide comfort and help for you, but there may be occasions in your life where it might get really hard, might be very tough. There are currents that are pushing against you, and you will have to have some spine, backbone. Um, You'll have to make choices and decisions in terms of what voices will you listen to? Will you listen to the voice of, you know, your, your inner voice telling you or the voices of the culture at large or the voice of Jesus? Like, those are discipleship questions that are very tough. Because if you haven't noticed, the, the voice of Jesus is not always very popular. Um, and so following Jesus, again, is rewarding but not easy. So last week we dove in and looked specifically at the question of what is a disciple. Today we're going to take a look at the challenges of discipleship. And then next week we'll take a look at some tools for faithful discipleship. But I want to just jump right in. And I'm going to read verse 60 down to verse 71. Again, we read this last week. But um, I think it's worthwhile reading again just so that's fresh in our mind. I'm going to read it starting at verse 60. When many of the disciples heard this, and again, this is a back story, uh, Jesus was communicating to them about himself being the bread of life. He makes a statement of, if you, unless you eat my bread and, or eat my body and drink my blood, uh, you will not have any part of life in you. Again, this stumbles a lot of people. People are thrown off. They're troubled. Even his own disciples are kind of like tripping out. Like, why are you talking like this? This is really weird. What do you mean by this? So it says in verse 16, when many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. The word hard is scleros, meaning like like uh, it's, it's callous. It's hard. It's difficult. It's offensive. And then Jesus in verse 61, knowing in himself that the disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, you take offense at me. The word offense there is the word scandalon. Guess what English word we get from that? Scandal. Are you scandalized by me? Are you scandaled by me? Like, this is, this is the issue that Jesus, now, Jesus wants to bring to the forefront. Um, not because he's combative, but because he loves people. And if we are holding on to the narratives that we choose to hold on to, and Jesus is there, and he's offering life, uh, we have a conflict now. We have a contest, and the contest is between the ideas and morals and ethos that I'm holding on to, whether it be self-formed or manipulated or, in, or imported from the world around me, um, and the ethos and morals and teachings and ethics of Jesus. And Jesus is like, look, I, I, am I scandalizing you by the things I'm saying? And then he goes on to say in verse 62, but, when, uh, but then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending in, to where he was before? Um, his whole point is that I, I'm not going to be staying here on this planet forever. I will be ascending back to where I came from. Um, if you cannot handle the fact that you must find life in me, meaning any other source, it will not be life-giving ultimately and eternally. Like, if you can't understand that, your minds are going to be way blown when I reascend back to my father. Like, you're, you're not going to have any categories for this. Verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Verse 64, but there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who were, uh, those who were, who did not believe and who it was 
who would betray him, obviously Judas. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by my father. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with Jesus. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And then Simon Peter said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus then answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? And he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he is the one of the twelve that was going to betray him. And this is the word of God. So let's jump right back in and uh, catch up to speed. So what is a disciple? Again, this is very, very fast review from last week. Get the message online, uh, MP3, and just check it out. It's helpful. Um, but I'll go through this really quick. So a disciple, according to Matthew 4, verse 19, is one who is with Jesus, one who's being formed by Jesus, and one who is doing good as Jesus did. That's what a disciple is. So very clear definition. If your life is like, I don't follow Jesus, you're not a disciple. Like, it's as simple as that. I'm not saying that in a derogatory sense. I'm just trying to speak truth, that, that you have to come to terms with that. Um, because, again, we live in a culture today where we want to mix and match religion that's suitable to us, but that, that is distinct from what Jesus himself says is a disciple. Um, again, this is, this is a tough thing to, to believe. Jesus does say things that from time to time are very hard. They scandalize us. They offend us. They're troubling to us. But that's part of what it means to follow Jesus. Because if indeed he is God and Lord over all things, he will have some things to say to us that our finite, limited, resourced minds just can't fully grasp. But then we're left with this question of now what? I don't understand Jesus. He doesn't make sense to me. Um, He's confusing. Now you're left with this question of discipleship. Where will I go? And we'll actually get into some really practical questions or answers to that next week. But I want to just even just pause to consider this. Where else will you go? This is kind of what was going on. And so a disciple, in, even in that moment of darkness, uncertainty, non-clarity, makes a choice. And the choice is, I'm going to press in. I'm going to follow Jesus, even though I may straight up disagree with him. I might even look at my understanding of what Jesus is saying and be like, that's so, you know, year 33. <laughs> that's so retrograde. That's so old school. Like, that's fine. You can believe that. But at some point, you have to rectify and bring some form of collation to all of this stuff of saying, even though I may not agree with it, even though it may not make a lot of sense to me, I will submit myself to the one who gave himself for me. And that's that's literally where the rubber meets the road. It's hard. I get it. It's challenging. It's difficult. But the, the, the reality is all of us as human beings, we will find something in this world to give our hearts to. So if it's not Jesus, then what? If it's not Jesus, then what? That's that's the that's the rub. Okay. So um, that's review as well as fast looking forward to next week. Now let's jump into really this whole topic of what are some of the top challenges that we face, that we will face as disciples of Jesus. And I want to kind of unpack some of this. There's a book that I read several years ago called Disciple Shift. It was really helpful. I think some of these ideas, I, I'm not confident of this, but I'm, I'm, I'm um, that, that I borrowed these from there because sometimes I read a lot of books and sometimes I forget what I borrowed and kind of incorporated in my sermon. But I'm just throwing this book out just in case because I don't want to be plagiarizing anybody else's hard 
uh, work. So I'm just going to throw out the word discipleship as I think that was the name of the book that uh, had some of these ideas in this particular formation. And if not, then I'll, I'll take credit for it. I'm not going to get anything for it, but I'll take credit for it. Anyways, the point of the matter is, when we think about the subject of what does it look like for us today in our culture right now, specifically as people that live in California, what are some of the top challenges that you and I face? And I want to go through four of them, and then we'll kind of uh, summarize all of this. So let's go through each one of these one by one. So number one, we have to realize that the world in which we live in today is kind of like um, the water we swim in. It's the air we breathe. And we might not even know it. It is just there, and you cannot, uh, you cannot uh, remove yourself from it. I, I saw this meme that was circulating a while back. There was this little little kid, maybe like two years old, three years old. I think he was like from this Italian family. Maybe you guys have seen it. And this little kid's like, mom, mom, me. And he's like talking. He's like throwing his hands all around like this. And I'm like, that's, that's really funny. That kid doesn't even know he's doing that. He's doing that because his grandma does that, his mom does that. And I realize it's probably straight up very stereotyping someone, but again, it's a meme. I didn't make it up. I'm just simply repeating to you. But the whole idea is, is this kid is taking on these hand gestures that he just absorbed. It's part of the world around him. He didn't even know it. It's not cognizant. Maybe at some point in his life, he was like, how do I, how do, I do that thing again? You know, what's that? How does mom do that? How does dad do that? But over time, it just becomes second nature. He just does it because he does it. doesn't even know. It's just wired part of his life. Uh, we, we get like that when it comes to driving our cars, right? Um, when you're looking for something or a place you have not been to before, you're like, do, remember the old school ways of like printing out maps? Remember that? But now it's obviously you use your Google Maps or whatever it is, and you find that. But once once you get there, uh, what you're actually doing is you're hardwiring your brain so that now you don't need to be dependent upon the map in the future. It, you just, you know the path. You just it's all memory. It's uh, brain memory, muscle memory. It's wired to remember where you go. That's the idea that's going on here is that there are things in our culture right now that we might not even be aware of because they are part of the water in which we swim in. So I want to try to shed some light upon these things. And these things, these four things I'm going to throw out uh, to discuss, talk about, um, are, are things that are there. And unless you're aware of them, you're very likely being shaped and morphed by these things. So my hope would be to just Name them, put them on the table, identify them. We can all look at them. We can discuss them. We can talk about them. We can think about them. Uh, and therefore, hopefully, we can identify them so that if they are making their way into your life, you can understand the adverse impact they will have upon you as a disciple of Jesus. So number one, let's jump in. Uh, we, are, we, we can be shaped by a culture of information. The idea here is that we have this mindset, I think, is that the myth and the, the, the myth or the, the, the false idea, the false storyline that goes along with this, is that information alone equals discipleship. Just because, let me give you another way of thinking about this, just because you have a lot of Bible knowledge, we might think that, therefore, I'm a disciple of Jesus. That's a false, false notion. That's a myth. That does not make you a disciple of Jesus. To put it another way, knowing Bible truths, apart from a life of obedience does not make a disciple. Discipleship involves submission, surrender. Like these are, these are controversial words in our culture today, but it requires submission and surrender to Jesus as king. Um, you could know Bible trivia, Bible information, but that does not make you a disciple. So again, 
our culture, we have this mindset that just by listening to podcasts or listening to information about a Bible or reading a Bible every day or listening to a Lectio 365 app or something like that, all that's great. And I'm not saying don't stop gathering information. Definitely keep acquiring information, but just understand information alone or apart from obedience to Jesus really is not discipleship. And you might actually be going down a false path of security. Like, like you should not be secure in the path that you're going on if all you have is just simply information apart from obedience and submission and surrender to Jesus as king. So that's number one. Number two, I think, is this idea of individualism. And the myth around this is that discipleship can happen in isolation. So we say things like this in our culture, like, I'm, I'm very spiritual, but I'm not religious. Um, I, I have a relationship with God, but I don't go to church. I love Jesus, but I don't know, Christianity stuff, I'm just, I'm not really into the whole Jesus church stuff. And, oh, I, I love, or where's another one? Yeah, I love God, but the church is really hard for me, and I just don't want to have anything to do with Christianity or Jesus people or Christians or whatnot. And look, I get it. If the uh, objection is Christians can be annoying, yes. I've spent 30 years in this world, and I I would agree with that. I'm not going to push back on that argument that, yes, Christians can be offensive. They can be hurtful. They can be problematic. They can be crazy, ridiculous. It's kind of like I've said this before. It's like having an entire family of drunk uncles that you show up at Thanksgiving, and they're always there. They're always there. You're always embarrassed. They're like, there they are. And it can be like that sometimes. So I, I get the idea that sometimes Christians can be a means that keep people from stepping in. But what I want to suggest to you is that the idea of thinking that we can have discipleship to Jesus apart from his community called the church is a myth. And again, this taps into this idea of individualism. Uh, we are, as Americans, you know, living Christians living in America, very, very hyper-individualistic. It's a part of kind of the fabric of what it means to be American. And again, we might not really know that. Um, I remember going to China several years ago. I was talking with some friends of mine that had lived there and had lived there for many, many years. And they had a lot of interaction with a lot of kids that are on college campuses and all that. And one, one time in the conversation with them, they were sharing with me how the idea in America that says, you know, you go to a child when they're like four years old or five years old or, you know, fifth grade or whatever it is. What do you want to be when you get older, when you grow up? You know, kids throw out like six different like answers. I want to be a fireman or I want to be a you know, computer programmer or I want to whatever, you know, president, whatever. Oh, that's awesome. He said the, the, the Chinese students that he was working with in the city that he had been living, they don't think that way. That, that's not wired into their frame of reference. You, you don't ask that question, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then get some sort of an individualized answer. You just don't, it's not part of the culture in that, part of the world. And that was fascinating to me because, again, it's it's very distinct or different as to how I'm wired and how you and I are wired. But when we carry that idea of individualism into the concept of discipleship, uh, we can oftentimes have problems. So I would say that in our private enclaves of individualism, we oftentimes frame this lifestyle around our own personal preference. So here's some of the traits or the aspects of individualism that kind of come out. Uh, we pick and choose what we like. Um, to put it another way, uh, the individual, if you want to put it in another framework, the individual becomes or takes upon its shape of an idol. It becomes uppermost, the most important thing. 
You frame your entire worldview, your life around your personal preferences and choices. That is that hyper-individualism. That's a part of our culture around us. And, and again, it is, is very antithetical to discipleship of Jesus. Jesus, yes, saves us as individuals, but he saves us and puts us into a community called the church. As imperfect as it is, as problematic as it can be, we're part of this community. And I would say that when an individual becomes the supreme end-all idea, which everything gets framed around that, um, there's one thing that really kind of comes to my mind is we become very hypersensitive. So, for example, any time anybody confronts you or there's any resistance or anybody has a non-affirming sentiment toward you, that can be viewed as ranging from just offensive, like I'm hurt, oh my gosh, how, how dare you not accept me, all the way to violent, like you, you're enacting violence upon me because you are not, uh, you're not receiving me or you're challenging my notions or my ideas or my thoughts by whatever Jesus had to say. And that can be offensive to people in our culture in the way which we think about this. And again, this is, it has to do with because of individualism. Um, so for example, if I were to even think about this even in a further broader sense, part of what it means to be part of a community, uh, the church, is this collective where we are open in this context to correction, rebuke, reproof, people coming into our lives and saying, hey, listen, I've, I've watched the way that you've been doing this. This is not right because what you're doing right now is not square with what Jesus taught or this attitude that's right here is not what Jesus desired or this hatred or venom that's kind of coming out of your mouth or just this gossipiness that's over there. All of that has to go. Because that's not the way of Jesus. So again, if you're an individual, you take hyper offense to that. Like, how dare you tell me what to do? That type of idea. Because individual is over Jesus himself. The individual becomes the idol of our making. What I'm suggesting is that the invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to follow him all the way. Sometimes that involves uh, being in the context where we are prone towards or open towards being reproved. So, for example, let me give you a couple passages of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 25 or 23 says this, uh, referring to the commandments of God. Your commandments, O God, are, are a lamp, and the reproofs for disi- discipline are a path to life. So he's describing God's reproof for me is actually a path to life for me, and I want that. Proverbs 12, 1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction... This is, again, in the Bible, is, is, is acting foolishly. And the whole point is that part of what it means to be part of this family, it brings about an open re-squaring our lives with the life of Jesus. It's as simple as that. Now, can sometimes church culture come in and become a main shaping factor of that? Absolutely. I mean, there's all sorts of, like, documentaries that are going on right now about that. I've been watching Shiny. What's it called? Shiny people on Amazon, I can't remember what it's called, Shiny Happy People, whatever, which is fascinating to me. I was never really into the, the, the Duggar family, but it's a whole thing on that whole vibe, and it was, just, it was, it was kind of trippy, to be honest with you. But again, sometimes this, uh, these types of ideas and ideologies can become a major shaping factor of a person's life, more so than Jesus, and that's, that's not what discipleship is. Discipleship is reframing our lives around Jesus. So I would, I would leave this question before I move on to the next one. How open are you to correction or reproof? or reproof. If someone were to come to you and be like, hey, the way that you're living your life does not square with Jesus, would you be hyper offended by that? 
or be like, man, I'll, I'll, I'll need to pray about that. Thank you for showing me love. Because sometimes that's what reproof does. It brings you into the light. And by showing you the path to light, now you're able to reframe yourself around the way of Jesus. The third thing is what I would describe as the, um, the, 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 cult, the culture of personal decision. So the myth for this is that by making a decision or a prayer to pray to Jesus means that you're a disciple. So let me, let me give you an example of kind of how this plays out, at least in American evangelical Christianity, because this is kind of the, the, again, the water that we're swimming in a little bit. So after World War II, uh, when America was expanding into the suburbs, um, there was massive, massive growth in these suburban areas throughout America. Uh, with that came massive spread of churches. So like, for example, if you go around, look at a lot of churches in San Luis Obispo that are kind of the old school, weird, like, vibey architecture, you look at like a little plaque inside the building, it says like 1952, 1954. Why is that? Because that was a time of massive expansion of churches during the time. People were moving to places like San Luis Obispo in the suburbs, and there are churches that were kind of beginning to be planted as a result of that as well. And what was happening is this massive growth of Christianity in America, like unprecedented, unprecedented in America. And as a result of that, what you had were a lot of church folk people that were going to church, but not necessarily living the way of Jesus. You guys, you guys follow me so far? Have you ever met people like that? They go to church, but they don't like live the way of Jesus. And if you ever kind of stood back and like, man, something's not harmonizing or synchronizing because they, they claim to go to church and seem to kind of have like Jesus-y vibes around their lives and they go to church on Sunday, but their life just does not seem to be filled with joy and peace and kindness and goodness and and, and, the, and the love of God. And what was happening within that context, there was a, a, a move to basically say, we need to know who's really in and who's out based upon, have you made a personal choice and decision to follow Jesus? And that usually looks like, you know, standing up for like an altar call and all that. And all this is fine. I'm not, I'm not knocking. I'm just trying to give you a little bit of a history of it. But what happened was you can have these people that can go up at an altar call and they pray a prayer and they automatically think, I'm, I'm going to heaven when I die. That's, that's, that's awesome, I hope, assuming that you're actually a disciple of Jesus. Because just because you prayed a prayer or made a decision at some point in your life does not mean or necessitate the fact that you are actually a follower of Jesus, that you are actually a disciple, living your life day-to-day, long obedience in the same direction. In other words, it's a, it's a myth, I think, that needs to be uncovered and recalibrated. All right, lastly, as I would describe, is this culture of consumerism. And this is the idea of basically seeing uh, this myth that church is really nothing more than a source of goods and services. In other words, it's not really my identity. It's not who I am. It's not what I belong to as far as a community. It's where I go to be fed. And we say this all the time. Like, my church is I go to be fed. I want to suggest to you that is a consumeristic language. It's just like, again, we sometimes we say it and we don't even necessarily think I'm, I'm a consumer. I'm just nothing more than a consumer. I'm just like, describing my church as a consumer would. But I would suggest to you, that's part of the water vibe that I'm trying to describe, is that that alone does not make you a disciple. You could just be a consumer. You're just availing yourself of the goods and services of that particular community. So I thought it'd be kind of interesting to just finish up and think about just some really practical ways, because what we don't want is we don't want to be naive to some of these things that are there. What we do want is we want to be able to identify these things that are there, but at the same time, recalibrate our lives around the teachings of Jesus so that we can then faithfully follow him 
in the way that he's inviting us into. So what I want to do in terms of finishing up with some final thoughts with regard, especially this idea of consumerism, and knowing that the idea of the church being a part of a community and not just simply a consumer of goods and services from the community, um, how do we how do we find a church in a good setting? Like like for example, I, I want to give the, and, I, and I share these with a lot of people, and I just thought it might be helpful for some of you. These are some tips to select a church. Again, because we live in a culture where there's like lots of different churches, and it's funny because again, as I mentioned, I've been here in San Luis Obispo for thirty years. Over the past six years, we've had at least almost a dozen brand new churches get planted, which is crazy. San Luis has not grown population wise, but we've had this massive you know, movement of new churches sprouting up all around us. And again, because we tend to be consumers in our cultural ideas, it's easy for people to be like, oh, I'm going to go to this church over here because they've got this service or they got that good or they got a big parking lot. And these are, again, we don't want to feed into this consumeristic ideology. We want to identify this so that we make sure that we don't get caught up in this. So with that being said, here's four different things I can think that would be helpful in selecting a church. Number one, calling. My, my first and foremost uh, advice to you would be pray. Ask God. God, what do, you, what do you want me to be a part of? Ask the Father. He loves you. He's the chief shepherd of the church. Ask him where he wants you to be. Secondly, community. Uh, are relationships able to be cultivated? If not, why not? You know, again, if you've been going to church for a period of time, you're like, I really want community, but I haven't really found any community, and I don't really know anybody. No one knows my name. I don't know anybody else's name. Like, is, is, there, is there something inhibiting that? Is there something, again, some churches might have a problematic thing about this. I mean, again, some churches might be where you go there, you're not part of the crowd, or you don't fit in, you're not that particular person, or you don't fit a certain social economic uh, a vibe or whatever it is, and then therefore you feel isolated um, and pushed out. And, and that, that might be the case. But is it sometimes it's possible that whatever reason we're just not putting in the time or making um, ourselves available to some of the things that can be there that can help create context and culture and relationship to begin to form. So number one, calling. Ask God where he wants you to be invested. Number two, community. Are there relationships to be cultivated if not? And then thirdly, content. Is scripture being the central thing that's being taught? This is really super important. Because again, just because something has the big sign on the door that says church here in America doesn't mean scripture is central. And again, the question is, theological ideas come from somewhere. Everybody in this room has ideas of God. That means you have a theology. The question is, where do you get your theology from? I mean, if you get your theology from Fox News, CNN, media, right, Hollywood, the music industry, you're going to have some weird ideas that are not the same or that are not in harmony with Jesus. It's just, it is what it is. So how do we find ideas about God and then begin to live according to this? We go to Scripture. What does Scripture have to say? So, again, just because you have a church does not necessarily mean that the Scripture is going to be central. So make sure that you find a church that Scripture is the main central factor that forms theological convictions, um, morals, mission. All of these things are being shaped by the content. Third, or Lastly, fourthly, is culture. Is it a culture where grace, peace, and the love of God are present? Again, some churches are not. They're toxic. You walk in there, they're like, hey, we need you to be doing this, 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 and by the way, we need you to tie 20% of everything you got, and if you don't, we're not going to, you're not welcomed here. And all of a sudden, you're just like, holy cow, maybe I either got to conform or I got to run. My suggestion would be run, because that's cultish. That's not Jesus. Like, the point that I would make is that, yeah, some churches have some really bad 
culture that needs to be identified and recognized that some of them can be abusive, and that, that is the way it is. So I think these are four ways of reframing. And I'll end on three final ones that you can use to don't select a, a church based upon these. Number one, conveniences. Again, there's there's a movement based upon sort of the consumeristic mindset, uh, conveniences. Um, you know, our church offers massive parking, and our church offers this. And it's easy to be like, oh, we're just going to go wherever it's most convenient for us. And, and that might not be where Jesus wants you to go. It might be where Jesus wants you to go. But first and foremost, don't necessarily frame your uh, movement into discipleship of Jesus in the context of a church just purely based upon convenience. Jesus might want you to drive 30 minutes to church because he's calling you to a church up in Paso. Are you going to do it? He might even call you to leave slow to move to Paso to be part of that church. He could do that. Sometimes he does that. I'm not saying he does that for everyone. Uh, secondly, it's the charisma of the pastor. Again, this is a, a major problem, I think, in our culture today, where there is a way of kind of framing a church commitment based upon the charisma of a pastor. I just read an entire book on charismatic figures in the history of American evangelicalism. Everywhere from, like, really well-known pastors all the way to, like, Jim Jones. People that had the ability to just rally crowds together because they were winsome, they were articulate, they were really good speakers. But what I would suggest to you is look for integrity and faithfulness. And lastly, um, don't don't frame it around coolness. I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's kind of like, where's the cool people going? I'm going to go hang out with them because if I can just be in their aura, then I will be part of that whole vibe of coolness like at the end of the day that none of that is what discipleship to jesus is all about and that's where i'm trying to reframe everything back to this idea of what jesus is saying because like at the end of the day following jesus is rewarding but it's really hard we have to be aware of the culture around us the influences that are there in order to ensure that we are faithfully walking with jesus the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who loves us, who gave himself for you. Because of who Jesus is, we can devote ourselves entirely to him. And that's the call of what Jesus invites his followers to do. Things will get tough. There will be times Jesus asks us to do things that we don't understand. There will be times that life is really hard. We ask Jesus to show up, and he does not seem to show up. There's going to be times we ask for prayer. We ask by way of prayer. Jesus, do this. Help me in this. And he doesn't help you in those things, in that moment, in the way that you think that the prayer should be answered. Now what? Where do you go? We'll look more at that next week. But where do you go? What are the alternatives? Because we have to serve something. And we will serve something. And if not Jesus, then what? Is that... What, the latter aspect, is, is does it have the framework of devotion and love and commitment to you that Jesus had? And this is why Jesus, in my opinion, and, and I'd say the opinion of billions upon billions of others throughout the past several millennia, have found Jesus compelling and beautiful and good and were willing to give their lives to him even when things were extraordinarily hard and dark, and tough, and filled with pain, because serving Jesus is better than any other alternative that this world has to offer. And I'm done. I want to invite you all to stand right now. I realize I went a little bit late, 
Thank you for your patience. We got kids back there, so we're going to release you guys all in a second to go grab your little kiddos. But I want to pray over us as we conclude and um, give you guys an opportunity. If you need prayer, we'll have some time to pray. But Jesus, right now, we thank you for your great love, and we just devote ourselves, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts to you. You're the king over all things. You're the king that loves us, that gave himself for us. And God, in this place, in this space right now, we just want to devote ourselves to you. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, maybe you have put your big toe in the pool in the water and trying to get a feel for it. And maybe today Jesus is inviting you to jump in, completely jump in, completely give yourself entirely over to him. My invitation to you is do that. I, I, I promise you, it will be tough, but absolutely worth every bit of energy that you give. He's a good God. He loves you. He's for you. And all you have to do is ask him, Jesus, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me. I turn from my past, my life, my brokenness, my sin. I turn to you. I want faith. Give me confidence to trust and follow you. And Jesus will meet you. He will meet you here right now. God, the rest of us, send us out of here as ambassadors for your kingdom. We boldly, courageously, virtuously, faithfully live for you. And we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.